Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Thomas Klein is an American physician who supports pain patients, and he put together a list of pain patients who took their own lives. I'm only telling you this because a lot of people don't have a sense of what chronic pain is. Kevin Keller, a Navy veteran from the USS Independence, in the 1980s was from Virginia. He took his own life at age 52. He shot himself after breaking into the house of his friend, Marty Austin, to take his gun. Austin found a letter left by Keller saying, Marty, sorry, I broke into your house and took your gun to end the pain. Keller had experienced a stroke 11 years earlier, and he had worsening pain in the last two years of his life because doctors would not give him pain medication. On the subject of pain medication, Austin said that Keller was not addicted. He needed it. The suicide occurred one year after the Veterans Administration of the U.S. announced the Opioid Safety Initiative and one more. Former NASCAR driver Dick Trickle of North Carolina shot himself at age 71. He suffered from long-term pain, although he went through several medical tests to determine the cause of his pain. The results could not provide relief. After Trickle's suicide, his brother stated that Dick, quote, must have just decided the pain was too high because he would never have done it for any other reason, end quote. I'm joined by Dr. Hans Clark, staff anesthesiologist and the director of pain services at the Pain Research Unit at Toronto General Hospital. Dr. Clark supports evidence-based solutions for the opioid crisis worldwide. He's been a guest on this program before. Dr. Clark, welcome back. Thanks very much, Rick. I really appreciate it. And uh, my friend Kate Nicholson, who's been on this program many times over the years, she's the president of nationalpain.org in the United States, civil rights attorney, former U.S. Department of Justice lawyer, who's a chronic pain patient herself and advocates for pain patients, but not only in the United States, also in Canada. How are you, Kate? I'm doing well, Roy. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Clark, when you hear me read those two suicide stories, and there are dozens, dozens and dozens. It just seems so fundamentally wrong that people who are suffering dramatically in agony have their medications either slashed or removed and find themselves so desperate they take their own lives. What is going wrong here? Right. I mean, you know, you, those are just some examples, and there are, there are many others, as you said, and they, really we need to just find some solutions for these millions of North Americans, you know, Canadians and Americans that that are at risk of abandonment like Lizzie or, you know, God forbid, this rapid de-escalation that we're seeing. And I can tell you that, you know, on a, on a monthly basis, I am, you know, either approached for a patient who is now having their physician retire who's been prescribing them these medications for decades, and know or in fear that they may find someone who says, well, you know, we're not going to do this for you, or, you know, this is too risky for me to do. And, and that's really a, a bad place that we have landed. And one of these unforeseen consequences of this, you know, quote-unquote opioid crisis. Yeah. And it's so it's so unnecessary. And on the other side of the, the ledger, we have the city of Toronto and the public officer, medical officer of health moving forward with a plan to call on the federal authorities to decriminalize all drugs, illicit drugs, for personal use, but chronic pain patients are having great difficulty obtaining the pain medications that have worked for them 
for many, many years. Kate, you lived with chronic pain. When, when I read those two stories, you've heard them so many times yourself. Um, what's, the, what's, what's the response from you? And can you tell people, please, what it's like to live with chronic pain? Because it's not just a headache or a banged toe on a table. Yes, Roy. Well, um, I, as you know, hear from people almost every day in chronic pain who cannot find a doctor who's willing to treat them are being forced tapered off their medication or from families who've lost loved ones. In fact, we lost two advocates in the last couple of weeks in the United States. These are people who are in pain themselves and working to try and make things better for others, uh, one by suicide and the other who was forcibly tapered and just never recovered, couldn't get his breath and was on a ventilator very quickly thereafter and died. So it's it's very serious. Um, and, you know, chronic pain is misunderstood by society. Uh, a lot of people don't really understand. They think, you know, everyone has pain and pain is, is a healthy, adaptive thing to have. And that's true when it functions normally. Um, people who have a genetic condition that makes them unable to, to feel pain don't live very long. The problem that people don't really understand is that when pain becomes chronic, it loses that adaptive function and acts more like a disease. And it damages, it can damage nearly every organ and body system. It also has tremendous effect on uh, one's life and quality of life, one's ability to work, to function, to participate in everyday activities. I myself uh, spent about two decades where I couldn't sit, stand, or walk after a surgical injury and was in tremendous pain. Um, and fortunately for me, uh, many years later, surgical techniques improved, and I am still in chronic pain, but faring much better these days. Um, but the problem is that uh, we're really in a situation where people with chronic pain are sort of suffering guilt by association in a way. Uh, with the medications that they need and are losing access to care, uh, and doctors are afraid to to treat them. So we've sort of become the liabilities of of the opioid crisis. Yeah, Doctor Clark, I'd like to pick up on what uh, Kate just said, and that is, doctors are afraid to treat them. And I hear this time and again. I've heard patients say, "My doctor said my uh, his license or her license." Is, is not worth risking to provide the medications that the doctor knows and has previously prescribed for that very patient. Are doctors being intimidated into not prescribing opioids? So I think, you know, you know, in Canada, the, the healthcare practices are really governed provincially. And so, you know, Tom, your last guest, is from BC, and they certainly had the most aggressive approach in terms of, you know, accepting the CDC guidelines as mandates. And, and they've since, obviously, as well, backed off on that. Um, you know, uh, Ontario went after about 85 doctors several years ago, and, and the physician community hasn't really recovered from that. And, and this fear that Big Brother is watching you, but you know, they have also put out a statement saying they're not doing this. But once you cause you know a pendulum to swing so far in another direction, it's it's going to take some time to get back to a, a place of common sense and a middle ground where people understand. Look, you have high risk individuals that have been taking these medications for years. And as you pointed out, quite rightly, Roy, you know, we're talking about uh, from a harm reduction side, you know, decriminalizing illicit substances. And there are lots of resources for that part of the opioid equation. Where are the resources for the chronic pain patients? And unfortunately, there aren't very many right now. Now, so does the chronic pain patient say, well, I'll just declare myself to be addicted to uh, to illicit drugs and I'll just get what I need? and. And I'll get through life that way, which is not the, the, the preferred choice or for, for most, I would think, or all of them. 
Um, and, and But it's maybe the only solution they see on the horizon. But Dr. Clark, let me stay with you. What are some of the other approaches that you would employ and engage for dealing with chronic pain of the kind Kate was experiencing, perhaps? Okay, so, you know, if we're talking about chronic pain in general, I think we've had this discussion before, Roy, you know, it, it, it is finding a regimen for an individual that includes their medications, includes pharmacotherapy, includes, you know, exercise, physiotherapy, all of these other things that are a part of uh, their pain regimen. And, and I, I'm a big fan of their brains as well in terms of hypnosis and mindfulness and all these things. But, you know, no one thing is the answer. There is no magic bullet. And so putting together that regimen for a patient that will be successful is really the work of the physician team and all of the allied health uh, folks as well as the patient. Fixing the scenario we're in now with patients being abandoned, well, you know, different provinces have taken different approaches. And I think that one of the ones we have to look at in Ontario, and I know that Dr. Tony Duran at Women's College is thinking about uh, putting in an ask to the ministry about safe prescribing zones and green zones for patients that are being abandoned and have nowhere to turn. Because even though you suggest that they should head down that illicit road or they're, or they're forced into that, we know that bad things are going to happen with the amount of tainted, uh, you know, powdered fentanyl that are in the pills that many of our chronic pain patients may think, hey, this looks exactly like what I'm taking. Well, guess what? Quite often it isn't. And that's where we're going to see even, you know, a bigger upswing in, in some of these deaths that, that are being reported. Kate, uh, rather than my asking you a question, why don't you tell us what really needs to be said here in our conversation? I'll just step, I'll just step back and have you just say what, what, what our listeners need to hear. I think you do a very good job of, of uh, saying what, what needs to be said, Roy. And, and part of that is listening to the stories of people who are deeply affected by pain and what's happening to them. That's one of the things we're doing at the National Pain Advocacy Center is uh, we started a, a hashtag real pain stories and are asking people to contribute their stories to us on Twitter. Um, and I think it's great that you're amplifying these stories. That is really what it takes to get the attention of policymakers, uh, unfortunately. Um, but the real problem, and we now have, you know, when I first started talking about this problem in 2017, I was told, well, you know, this is an anecdote here, this is an anecdote there, one story, another story. But we now have about 14 studies that show the dangers of taking people off their medication. We have studies in the U.S. that show that 50% of primary care doctors will not take a patient who uses opioids to manage pain, and 81% are reluctant to. So we have actual studies showing that these people are being abandoned by the healthcare system, which is just unconscionable. Um, it's, it's unconscionable. And the backdrop problem, uh, which is something that Hans and I had talked about before, is not just this pendulum swing in opioid prescribing, but a, a fundamental uh, failure by society to recognize and treat chronic pain. Um, it's rarely taught, even in medical school, how we should manage pain. So we have a depth of, of, of difficulty and problems, um, even though uh, professionals like Kant would now consider chronic pain a disease. And in fact, um, the new medical coding that's coming out will, will code it as a disease. Uh, we still are very far behind in recognizing the problem and in providing the kinds of treatments that Hans was talking about, this sort of multimodal care. Um, at least in the U.S., a lot of it's not covered by insurance and not widely available to people. Uh, so it's a big problem, but it's one that 
undergirds so many of our social issues from substance use to mental health issues that if we are not willing to, to address it, we're going to continue to have problems. Yeah. And Dr. Clark, I just received an email from a listener uh, and I just, I'm just reading one part of his email and it's about his, his uh, mother-in-law who passed away. Chronic pain was one of her significant issues, but he points out something that I'd forgotten about, and that is I've heard chronic patients, pain patients say that even if they get a prescription from a physician, they can go to the pharmacy and the pharmacist will decline to, uh, to fill the prescription. So I mean, it looks like the deck is just stacked against the chronic pain patient. Well, Roy, I mean, you're on the pulse of all of these things, right? And so, you know, one of the issues where we're finding is that, you know, newer physicians that are coming into practice, given all the restrictions, given the pushback at multiple levels, that, you know, one of the things they'll just, you know, easily fall into is, well, I don't even believe in prescribing, uh, you know, these medications, or you need a chronic pain specialist. And we have 18 chronic pain specialists being trained in, in the country right now. That's it. That's it. And Kate says this is very, that's it. This is, this is, you know, and if there is this belief that you need to have a chronic pain specialist to prescribe these medications that have been prescribed for decades by every physician, and that's what we're seeing, you know, across institutions, even in the hospitals. Well, we don't, no, of course you do. You're a physician. These are your patients. Pain is part of any chronic disease. You absolutely have to understand these things. And, you know, in my pet peeves, if someone dares to call themselves a pain specialist and say they don't prescribe an opioid, you should just take that designation away. These medications have been here for decades. They will be here for decades to come. We need to get back to understanding, you know, and treating those that need to be treated and understanding those at risk and, of course, trying to protect those that, that might get into trouble. If you cannot receive the, the pain medications that you require, and in many cases, the pain medications that you've been accustomed to for years, they've worked for you. If they're taken away from you arbitrarily, you as the patient are left with some hellish decisions to make. And if life becomes unbearable, we know that people commit suicide. We know it. It's not worth it. How can we, how can we justify this going on? And how can we, on the one hand, say, let's, let's legalize illicit drugs for those who, who want them and are addicted to them, and let's just forget about the chronic pain patient who's living in agony. No, they can't have the very, you know, fundamentally the same med- drug, but in a medication form. Uh, I, I, Kate, my head starts to hurt. It does. Um, and, and we are seeing these consequences. You mentioned earlier the cases of a few veterans. And there was actually a recent study that was written up in the Washington Post in the United States that uh, not unexpectedly, the suicide rate after the Opioid Safety Initiative went into the Veterans uh, Administration, um, the suicides really did dramatically escalate. So it, it is a problem. I am actually personally a, a, a fan of decriminalization just because I think that bad surveillance and drug policy harms everyone, um, at least in this country, you know, the sort of supply side tactics that look at um, just curbing supply without understanding why people use drugs have been problematic for communities, communities of color, in particular in the United States for years. So even though it feels very hypocritical, I actually think the criminalization and surveillance practices um, are unconscionable pretty much. Yeah. I, I just think that if on the one hand you're going to decriminalize, then you have to, can't forget the pain patients. And my, my interest in this issue began. Absolutely. My issue, in Absolutely. This, yeah, my issue interest began when my wife was dealing with a horrible, horribly painful cancer. And the pain med- medications that she were given uh, will maybe have settled things for our seven-pound Yorkie, but it certainly wasn't going to help a, a human in, in distress. If you want to hear more, 
Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 